I cannot believe how much it sounds amazing in my ears when I talk through this microphone and through these headphones. I don't know if I'll ever get used to this. Do DJs just their whole life listen to their voices and go, wow, I sound so much better on a microphone than I do just talking to regular people. And you might be watching this and going, um, Jacob, you, you, it sounds like you like the sound of your own voice. And you know what? I do. I do. I like the sound of my own voice. Somebody very sweetly, very kindly said on a video I put out today, I was talking about a story about one of my early LA jobs. And they said, you got a great voice for broadcast or whatever. And I was like, thank you. I, I actually didn't feel that way growing up as a teenager, as a 20 something. I feel like I'm starting to settle into this lower range now. And it's, I, I feel, feel good about it. If I'm lucky, I'll sound like Leonard Cohen in another 10 years or so. But anyway, let's get into the show. The reason why you're here and why you've tuned in and you're like, Jacob, let's get into the good stuff. This is Waterproof Records. And, uh, you know, you've been patient. You've waited for the episodes. And I promise you, I'm going to get down to where I have a cadence where you have a, you can set your watch to it. But for now, it's just kind of surprise episodes. They just pop up and you're like, oh, goody, there's a new Waterproof Records. So it's time to talk about Radiohead's The Benz. Things are gonna change, I can feel it. It's just gonna be that kind of body. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty and we get into the bends, I'm going to start by saying today's episode is recorded at Believe Limited in Silver Lake, California. Believe specializes in entertainment that affects change and is responsible for various forms of content, including feature films, documentaries, and podcasts. Much like this one, you can check out their work at BelieveLTD.com. Believe Limited, we do special things. The moment I finish saying that, I always think to myself, it needs to kick into, there was a 90s song by a band called Dig called Believe. It's like, why don't you believe, believe in your own God. You guys remember that song? Um, I don't think Dig had that many other uh, hit singles, but that was was one of their 90s ones. Um, Anyway, we are talking about Radiohead. Um, I think you've heard of them before. I'm pretty sure they might be one of the biggest alternative bands to come out of... uh, music in the 90s, and they're still going strong to this day. And you might be thinking to yourself, why is he starting at The Benz? Their second album, mainly because why not not start on Pablo Honey, their first one, or start on OK Computer, which people kind of revere as the, the most iconic Radiohead album from the 90s. But as somebody who lived through that decade, The Benz was where it shifted. And so I think it's super important to talk about this album because it was really the start of something special. Um, One of my biggest TikToks, my biggest TikTok is my Radiohead Creep video. And um, Creep was the first glimpse audio piece of music that we got from Radiohead. You know, maybe if you lived over in London or, you know, overseas, maybe there was other ways that you came in contact with the band before Radiohead was really blowing up or in their earlier iterations. Um, But this was the first taste. And 
there is there's so much interesting to be said about creep because the band hates the song um when i made the video so many people were like this is not even their best song and i'm like i know <laughs> i know they don't like it and it's really not even that characteristic of what the band is capable of doing but when you're given you know that first l- little glimpse you know it's like being able to see an early work from a filmmaker that will go on and create one of the greatest films of all time you you still really value that glimpse that that art that's being formed and creep was that song 100% and I, I got to say, it's a little bit tragic that the band hates it so much. And um, you think uh, you think after so many decades, you'd be like, geez, let it go, guys. But if there's one thing that uh, this band is known for, it's just kind of being, <laughs> kind of glu- you know, I don't like that stuff, that early stuff. It's crap, you know. Um, but Creep was a powerful introduction. And then they really teased up this album because this album is created because of the success of creep you know pablo honey is an okay album you know it's i think that um it doesn't stand out but i i've heard it said before that if it wasn't radiohead if it wasn't from a band that went on to do so much more we might look back on it more fondly like it's a solid 90s alternative rock album with guitars and you know really full and a lot of sound and there's good songs on there it's just that in comparison it just doesn't even look the same in a lot of ways and so if it had been just some other band called the you know the tripods um we might be like oh pablo honey by the tripods it's a great 90s record but because it's radiohead we're kind of dismissive of it now but so creep blows up the band they become huge and it really sets them up in a way globally where they resent the popularity that they're getting from the song and the expectation and what people set, you know, want from them from that song. You know, when I made the Radiohead uh, creep TikTok video, so many people commented about Johnny Greenwood, the guitar player making those, those um, distorted, you know, palm muted sounds that, you know, sound, which I mean, is so shocking. It's like, it's like a, fist bump from Zeus. It's literally like that sound is so jarring to me. It's, it's like, you know, thunder just coming through your speakers through distortion. And, um, everybody would always say in the comments, they go, well, Johnny Greenwood did that because he hated the song so much while they were recording and he's trying to mess it up. And I'm like, if that's true, well done, man, you just made it all the more awesome. You know, like if you just, and, and how, (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't help but laugh at the idea of just like recording that song in the studio and just being like, oh, I hate this song so much. I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to mess it up. I'm going to just hit my guitar cranky. I'm going to ruin this song. And it's like, you didn't ruin it. You made it better. (laughs) And stop being so mopey, Johnny, Um, youngest in the band, probably pretty young when that was all happening. But anyway, that song propelled them to stardom. There's all these expectations of kind of this grunge meets alternative art school rock, you know, sound um, behind it. And they don't want to be identified with that. They're, they're being, you know, going around the world and it's just this sudden attention. And so even the name, The Benz, of this next record is really fitting. Because if you think about what The Benz is, which is a decompression sickness, that's what The Benz is. And... 
it was like being, you know, the bends is, is coming out of it. You get decompression sickness from coming out from being submerged. So here's Tom York, here's the band, and they're submerged in this, you know, crazy rock scene, early 90s. There's there's grunge music, grunge explosion, alternative music, and the expectations of play creep, sing creep, perform creep, and they're just completely enveloped by this. And then you, when you come out of it, you've got the bends, you know, you've got decompression sickness. And so there's a lot of this kind of recovery from this experience. And if you know anything about the recording of this album, this is the second album. The label is like, it's got to be amazing. It's got to be as, as good as creep, if not better. It's got to be better. So that's an enormous amount of pressure out of the gate. And I think EMI gave them nine weeks. And they're like, nine weeks, make a better second album. <laughs> I can't even imagine the level of tension that would cause. This was in the fall of 1994. And from what you read from stories, it was not going well. It was tense. There was a lot of depression and anxiety, and they were just at their wits end. Um, Tom York had chosen as the producer. He produced producer was uh, John Leckie. He chose him. John Leckie was known for producing the Stone Roses. That was probably one of his biggest, most well-known bands. But Tom York chose him because he recorded um, Real Life with Magazine in 1978, and he loved the, the production on that album. So he chose him for this. So that's how John Leckie comes in on the project. And then a, a newer, younger engineer on this record is Nigel Godrich. And if you follow the band, if you're a big fan of the band, that guy has worked with Radiohead ever since. So he's he's young and just getting started and just in the studio with the band at this stage. And from here on out, Nigel Godrich is basically the record producer for Radiohead from here on out. And he went on to do so many other bands. And he even played in Adams for Peace uh, with Tom York and Flea. So Nigel Godrich, very well-known uh, record producer. And this is really where he gets his start. But they're working with John Leckie, and you know Leckie has said in interviews it wasn't going great. There was a lot of tension. Um, you know, um, let's let's dig into that. You know, right out of the gate, the album starts with Planet Telex, or Telex, or wherever you want to put the emphasis. And I remember when I got this album, I would have gotten it probably on CD. Yeah, I would have gotten it on CD. It's if it's 1995 because it comes out in March of 1995. So as you know, they were expecting a, a 1994 release because they have those nine weeks and they're late and they're late, but it comes out in March of 95. And I remember buying this album and taking it home and popping it in and the way that Planet Telex opens up with this kind of like launching, it really does kind of sound extraterrestrial-like. Everything's swirling around you and there's this lifting up and then there's this descending and you do feel this kind of out of this world feeling as Tom York began singing on that song. And I learned recently, I don't know if it's true that Tom York for that singing, he's like laying on the floor while he's singing those, those, um, those verse lines, which is just oh, classic Tom York. Um, but that song immediately kicks off the tone of the album. And I had had Pablo honey. I'd bought it because of creep but um, this is where I went, oh, where are we going? And I think that Radiohead, this is the best way I could describe it. Radiohead was like a, a band that 
Okay, let me wrap my thoughts around this. I'm gonna take a drink of water, get my heads around this. Um, Radiohead is like a band that left Earth on a spaceship and every album since has been them broadcasting music back to us on another planet. That's the best way I can put it. That requires a drink. If I had a whiskey, I would have drank it. Um, Yeah, because Pablo Honey is this rock record that's very, you know, identifiable. We see where it's coming. But the Benz is this, we're leaving Earth now. We're going to go somewhere else. And I think that OK Computer was like, okay, this is our first broadcast from Alpha Centauri. And this is what music sounds like out here. (laughs) I think that's maybe why it has this unbelievable otherworldly sound. But this is the beginning of it. And um, there's a lot of interesting things that happened with this album coming together. Like I said, tension, pressure, you know, they're going eight or nine weeks. They're struggling to put these songs down. And there's this really well-known story where John Leckie is feeling like the band could de- deserves a break. They deserve a moment to ch- just get their heads around things and maybe step away from these songs that just aren't coming together. And they go out to ta- out into town and they go to the London, I think it's the uh, the garage, I think is the name of the venue, to go see Jeff Buckley. Jeff Buckley's playing in London. And John Leckie takes them out to go see Jeff Buckley. And Tom York sees this performance with just a Telecaster alone on stage. He performs. It's transcendent. And immediately he's so inspired by the simplicity and more predominantly the use of Jeff's vocal range and falsettos and whatnot. He said in an interview that Jeff Buckley gave him the confidence to perform in falsetto. And after the show, he's feeling just completely inspired. He goes back. They record two, three takes of fake plastic trees, the vocal, and that's it. That's it. Now things begin to shift and they begin to change. So he sees Jeff Buckley. He lays down and and really embraces the sound of his voice. And I think that that is so inspiring. You know, one artist seeing another incredible artist feeling that energy, taking it back to the studio and putting it in there. And Fake Plastic Trees is the first song that I remember hearing um, from Radiohead off this album. I was with um, a girl that I really liked at the time, and we were sitting in my car, and I remember hearing them play Fake Plastic Trees on the radio, and I didn't know right out of the gate that it was Radiohead, you know, knowing Creep. I wasn't just hearing this song and going, oh, that's clearly Radiohead. This is, you know, 1995 probably. And uh, I hear the song, and I'm just blown away by the musicality of it, just just where it's building and where it's going. And the girl I'm sitting next to, she goes, I like it, but the lyrics are kind of dumb. <laughs> and I was like, I think in that moment, I, I, I mini dumped her in my brain, you know, because I was like, ugh, you know, how you're missing it. You're missing the feeling of this song right now because you're focusing on these lyrics. Because, I mean, I think at the outset, you hear, you know, fake plastic trees, fake, fake plastic watering can and you go like what is he talking about but there's a lot more profound stuff happening there lyrically I think but for me as you guys know I don't really pay attention to lyrics I pay attention to music and for me fake plastic trees hook hooked me right away I was like I gotta get this album and I did and right around that same time that's the music video that they dropped on MTV that I remember seeing um, fake plastic trees 
was, I believe it was directed by Jake Scott. There was like this awesome, badass group of music video directors in the 90s. And it was like um, Jonathan Dayton and Valerie Ferris, Spike Jones, Chris Cunningham, Jake Scott, all these guys and girls that were making these kick-ass, really visionary music videos. And Fake Plastic Trees, I believe, was the video that he did. And if you've never seen it, it's really beautiful. It's in this like kind of uh, futuristic looking shopping, you know, a grocery store. And all the items are all uniformly colored, very bright, very vibrant. And Tom York is just kind of rolling around in a, uh, in a shopping cart. And there's people kind of living their humdrum lives. But it's very aesthetically pleasing to the eye. It's such a beautiful video to see. And here's a fun piece of trivia for you. Norman Reedus from The Walking Dead is one of the extras in the fake Plastic Trees video. He was young. He had just arrived in L.A. I think he was in his 20s, and he was just doing background work and in music videos, and he is in the fake Plastic Trees video. So there's your little um, pop, pop culture fact for you right there. But it's such a cool, aesthetically pleasing video. I'd heard it on the radio. I saw the video, and I was I was sold. I was like, let's get this Let's get this album. And I'm going to walk you through some of the tracks on the record because there are some amazing um, pieces of music that we can talk about, some some details. I sh- should have loaded this up beforehand, you guys, if I was smart. I had all this time, too. Where is it? Where is it? I was just listening to it on the way. Um, but anyway, right after we get into um, Planet Telex, the first song that we just talked about, we get right into the title track, The Bends. You know, that's the name of the um, that's the name of the song. And if you hear right before the song begins, there sounds like this noise and uh, kind of a noise like a, a crowd or something in the distance. And if if this Reddit thread is true, <laughs> which I don't know, but I read that um, it was Tom York York was recording a parade passing by his hotel room. And that's that sound that you hear at the very beginning of the bends is the sound of the parade passing by, which is a pretty interesting thing to reflect upon because the album is about this decompression sickness, right? So here Tom York is standing and he's looking out a window from a hotel room, probably a nice one. I don't know. Might have been a dive, but it's probably nice. And he's looking out the window and here's everyday people celebrating, walking in the streets, having this parade, and he's isolated from it. And it's probably one of those, um, you know, I envy the people there, whereas they would look up at him and envy him in the window, you know, kind of grass is always greener. But what a very uh, fitting moment for the song, The Bends, and for this whole theme about decompression sickness and coming out of this submerged state and trying to figure things out. So The Benz is a great song, great lyrics in there. Um, and then we move on to High and Dry. And High and Dry is a lovely song, and yet another one that the band hates. <laughs> this is, by the way, this is a very recurring trend in this, this with this group, especially with their early work. You know, I don't know, man. I love music so much that I, I just don't, I can't wrap my head around when an artist is like, I hate the song that I wrote, even if they think it is um, stupid 
or childish. I just feel like you could you could put things in boxes and say, well, that's where I was at that time in my life. You know what I mean? It's like when when I did the episode on Pixies Doolittle and they talked about how they didn't like Here Comes Your Man and they thought it was dumb. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, millions upon millions of people have listened to these songs and they mean something or they move us in certain ways. And so it's just so interesting when an artist doesn't like something. But hey, that's what you get with Radiohead. You get this kind of like, oh, I want to talk about high and dry, you know. Um, but high and dry was a, it was the oldest song on this album. Tom York had written it. Um, I think the name of the group is I'm drawing a blank on it, but I think it was called like Headless Chickens or something. I think in the um, late 80s, um, Tom York was writing and performing songs that, uh, you know, separate from the band that uh, he called in a project. I think it was called Headless Chickens that would later end up in Radiohead songs and High and Dry was one of them. And um, I think it was about a girl that he was interested in at the time, but really the lyrics kind of transform more into this, this, um, this theme that we get, right? This theme of feeling kind of distant from the world because you have this success from this music and now you're isolated and you're lonely. Um, but High and Dry is a lovely, lovely song, but apparently I don't think they've played it live since the late 90s. And, um, and they had... During this time period, um, they had another song called I Promise, which is another great song, which they 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 swore they wouldn't put on OK Computer because they didn't want to have any more of these like label hits, you know, like what was being demanded of them. Good on them for being able to look at labels and be like, no, we're doing what we want. We're not going to do the, the hit singles and songs. That's only made them more kind of iconic in their own way that they don't really cater to, to those things. But um, I like the song High and Dry. Thank you very much, Radiohead. Um, it's a lovely song. I think he, I read somewhere that Tom York said it's, it, 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 it's too Rod Stewart or something. And I'm like, well, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Rod Stewart's great. <laughs> but then we're on to Fank Plastic Trees, which we talked about that one already, which has the beautiful music video and Norman Reedus and that song has such a great crescendo and build and such a powerful ending. Um, now I don't have details or facts on every single song on here, but I can honestly tell you that the Benz is start to finish solid. There's not a skippable track on this album for me. Even the ones that don't get as much attention, like maybe bones or, um, black star, maybe not, doesn't get as much attention, you know, all great songs. All great songs. I If I put this album in, I'm listening to it start to finish. No skips. This is a no skipper for me. Um, where I can e say, even though OK Computer is a masterpiece, I still skip fitter, happier for Pete's sake. You know, I don't need to hear a robot. <laughs> but we won't dwell on that too much. But um, Bones, great song. Great, great uh, piece of music. And then you get on a nice dream in parentheses talked on the show about parentheses before you know here you have a song it's in parentheses what does that mean nice dream i think the story behind this was tom york had had a couple drinks and was taking a midday nap so he had a little buzz going on and he took a little nap and and the thoughts and ideas about how we interact with people in real life is kind of like a anxiety ridden experience, you know, cause you come in contact with people and you have conversations and you think about what did I say after it? Whereas if you encounter those very same people in a dream, it doesn't have any of that. It doesn't have any of those burdens. So I think that's where the concept of this album comes. But this, my friends is where we are really seeing 
where the ba- the band is headed in in songs like Nice Dream. Um, you can really see this dreamy, ethereal. We're going into other places, and then it has that kind of nightmare section where the guitars are just going crazy. Um, you really got to hand it to this band for their use of guitars. And on this album, there's so much more restraint because you've got three guitarists essentially in this band. Tom doesn't always play guitar, but Tom does play guitar. And then you have Ed O'Brien and then you have Johnny Greenwood and then you have Colin Greenwood on bass. And then you have Phil Selway on the drums, which is also impressive that these guys have all still been together. (laughs) How rad is that? We've got a band that essentially joined up in 1985, I think it was, and they're still the same lineup, all the same guys. They started in 1985 because I think they went to school together and their first band was called On a Friday because they would get together on a Friday. Aha. <laughs> so started playing music uh, in school in 1985 and then and then I don't think they really started getting more serious about it until the late 80s. And then, of course, we get to Pablo Honey by the time it's like 1992, 93, 93. Um, but anyway, Nice Dream, what a, a trip of a song. And really, for my adolescent brain, was going, what are we doing? <laughs> Where are we going? You know, something that, that guys like uh, Frank Zappa had already experimented in, in Hendrix with these kind of uh, dissonant, you know, guitar tones going all over the place. But um, for my teenage adolescent brain, I wasn't I wasn't as well versed in that kind of stuff. And this was really blowing my mind. Um, I think for a lot of us, it did. And you could see that this band, again, like I said, leaving planet Earth. This was like nice dream was basically um, we're leaving Earth's atmosphere, if you will. (laughs) Um, Then we get to my uh, no, no, no. I almost skipped ahead. Just. Oh, I'm telling you, this is this album I could talk about for like an hour. Um, Just. This is another example of where that, remember when I talk about that fist bump from Zeus on Creep? Well, it comes back, that the opening right when the song kicks in with the acoustic guitar and then it goes, you know, that he hit, he strikes the palm muted distortion and there's that, there's that thunderous punch um, of that palm muted uh, guitar strike that starts out right at the beginning. But this song, the rapid strumming and just the energy behind it. But what's the coolest thing that I remember about this song? was it was a music video that initially was a short film um, written by film, British filmmaker uh, Jamie Thraves. And he had written a 10-minute short with dialogue and everything that he was wanting to make. And he was approached to you know potentially work on a video with Radiohead. And he heard Just, and he was like, immediately, he was like, my short film needs to be this video. And he was right. Because this video is so phenomenal. It, it is so, it stuck, it sticks out of my mind. I know I, I say that about so many, but there are like a hundred music videos from the 90s that I still haunt me, that I still think about all the time. And this is one of them. With Vague Plastic Trees, it was aesthetically beautiful and I liked that, but just stays with you. And here's why. It's a short film. It is, there's subtitles and basically it starts out and there's this guy laying on the ground in the middle of like a city sidewalk street. He's laying on the ground and this guy almost trips over him and he walks up and while the song is playing, this is all subtitles at the bottom. So they have the dialogue 
And he almost trips over this guy and he looks down and he goes, why are you laying there? Are you hurt? And the guy's like, no, 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 I'm not hurt. And then, you know, more and more people start to gather and notice this guy on the ground. And they're all like, oh, can we help you? And they're asking all these questions. And this guy is getting more and more frustrated because he just wants them to go away and leave him there. And they're like, well, you're lying in the middle of the road. You know, there must be something wrong. You must you have to explain to us why you're just laying here on the ground. And he kind of loses his temper and kind of goes, fine, fine. You want to know why? You want to know why I'm laying here? And this is all building towards the end of the video. And the guy leans down and listens into, you know, listens to him talk quietly. And he says something. And just then the subtitles stop and you don't see or know what he's saying. He's whispering in this guy's ear. And then we cut away. And right when we come back, everybody, the whole town are laying on the ground. And I, oh, you guys, come on. That's awesome. It was so awesome. The uh, filmmaker, the writer, Jamie Thraves, he basically came and said, he said, there was a line as to what he whispers in the other guy's ear. There's there's a line. There's a piece of dialogue that was part of the short film. But he's like, I can't tell you what it is. I can't. He's like, I'm going to have to take it to my grave because he's like the whole joy of that video is that unknown of what was it? If he, He's like, it would ruin the video if I told you the piece of dialogue. And I kind of like that. You know what I mean? Like there's nothing that it could ever be that could compare with the feeling of what did he say? Everybody's on the ground again. You know, <laughs> so, so great. But that is a cool video. I just, by the way, um, spoiler alert. I don't know. You, it's a music video. Jeez, you know, go watch it anyway. It's a beautiful piece of art. Um, but just as a killer song, but here we get to my iron lung, which is an interesting thing because this was chosen by the label. I think is the first single, at least in the UK. I don't know about, uh, the USA cause I don't remember this song getting any radio play or anything, but it has an interesting story uh, behind it. My iron lung, you know, very interesting guitar work. You know, the way that Johnny Greenwood's playing that opening thing, it almost sounds sitarish, you know, just interesting guitar tone. Um, but basically, this song, they couldn't seem to get it right in the studio. No matter how many takes they did of this song, it just wasn't coming together. So this, the version you're hearing on the album actually was a live performance. Um, they, they did a live performance of it in uh, the London Astoria. And the version turned out so well that all they did was remove the crowd noise and they did Tom's vocals in the studio. But all the instrumentation and the, the, the sound of that song is, uh, is happening in a live show. And that always is so impressive to me when that happens. Because I've played in bands. Some of you have played in bands. That kind of blows my mind. It's like when I learned on the Get Back um, Beatles documentary, when I saw that <laughs> so many of the songs of the album were live um, on that record, I was like, holy shit. I mean, you could go your whole life and be like, those were recorded professionally in a studio. Um, but it's just so much more impressive when you hear that. But another neat part about My Iron Lung and the, the song is, so because this was a single, they um, they wanted to get the cover art for it. And this is really the introduction of their first time collaborating with the artist Stanley Donwood. Um, Stanley Donwood has done pretty much every Radiohead cover from here on out. You know, this is really the intro and the and the the first album cover they do. And 
they wanted to go get a picture of an actual iron lung. And they get a VHS camcorder and they get it into a hospital, which I think at the time they were like, we weren't supposed to do that. But they're going in and the, the intention is we'll get video footage of an iron lung and then they'll take they'll have it on the video. They'll pop in the VHS tape and then they'll take a picture of the tape playing on a TV. And that's how we're going to you know, it's going to have that kind of distortion to it because it's playing on a monitor. And that was the plan. But they were like. Have you ever seen an iron lung before? It's boring looking. It's like a gray box. It's not a cool looking piece of equipment. It's it's not striking at all. So there they are trying to get this picture for the iron lung single. So they have the artwork and there's a resuscitation dummy right there. And, you know, it's got that kind of lean back head. (laughs) I was what I love about the the album cover of the Benz is that resuscitation dummy literally looks like a dude who's just getting completely his his face melted off by music like just like oh <laughs> just like oh <laughs> you, do you see my face i've got metal nipples look at me <laughs> you know it's amazing um but that's the cover there it is they got they got the cover they took uh they took the picture and that's how you end up with the Ben's cover. And it all came from my iron lung and looking for that image. And this is where this, the collaboration with the artist began. Now we're getting close to the end of the record. Um, it is, you know, I, I know I'm almost going track by track on this one, which sometimes I will, you know, for, for bands. Radiohead is probably in my top five bands of all time um, for me personally. So bands like this, I can talk about pretty extensively like Smashing Pumpkins because I, I, you know, this is one of those ones that really, really made a big impact on me. Um, And it's interesting because because, you know, I've had friends over the years who just couldn't get into them, you know, or or fall out of love with them because they're like they're just too pretentious. I can't handle it anymore. And you know what? Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of pretension with them or, or kind of a kind of a. I don't know. That's not fair. Tom, guys, Greenwood Brothers, everybody, I'm not trying to say you're arrogant. I'm just trying to say there's this air of, um, I don't know, it's like when you're hanging out with a university professor and they're they're drinking wine and you tell them that you're reading a book and they look at you and they're kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah, I read that. I read that, uh, you know, when I was in high school. And you're just, you kind of feel a little bit, I guess that's pretension. I guess I'm basically describing pretension. I don't know. They're intimidating, I think. I think it's that kind of oddball, um, unwilling to play by conventional rules that makes them a little bit intimidating. Um, but I, I still love them. I still think that they they create such wild, interesting music. And even the more recent modern albums that delve into this kind of artistic representation of music and noise and movements like i said it's like beaming music back from other planets and sometimes the planet were like that's awesome and then other planets were like i don't understand what's happening here at all but you know what maybe that music from that planet means something to somebody somewhere (laughs) but we're getting near the end um bulletproof i wish i was is a very kind of ethereal dreamy piece of music and again really is introducing us to that Radiohead feeling, that place that you could get lost in space, kind of floating away. You know, this is more, if we were on the spaceship, this is the anti-gravity moment. This is the, I've woken up in the middle of the night and I'm looking out at nebulas and I'm floating. 
And um, I know I've realized that I don't want to go home. But uh, then we land on Black Star, which if I'm recalling correctly, Black Star is the one song on the album that um, John Leckie wasn't in the studio and left it up to Nigel Godrich to record the band. And so I think in interviews they said this was kind of like the grownups are away and it's time for the kids to play. And so this is really the first time that he got to produce a song for the band. And, um, and so that, you know, this is the one piece of music. Now, all of these songs on the album, um, John Leckie did produce, but as they got closer and closer down to the wire and he was mastering the, the songs, they did end up sending some of these tracks to the producers from the first album, Pablo Honey. I'm drawing a blank on those guys' names, but they, they were the producers on that. And basically, they took all the songs and they really amped them up with their production. Um, I think John Leckie later was disappointed to find out that only like three of his mixes made it onto the album. And the rest of them were kind of remastered by these other two guys that added a lot of like flourish and flair and a lot of attention, which I think is very synonymous with the 90s. You know, here's a legendary producer from the Stone Roses and magazine. He probably did much more like mixes and sounds and tones of what he knows how to do from those artists. And these guys that worked on Pablo Honey gave it that kind of like, these are 90s rock, powerful, zing, you know, hits. And so I don't know. John Leckie, I think, has later said he got over it. It's fine. You know, he just wished that they had told him they were going to do that because he wasn't informed in advance. Like, by the way, we're going to remix all your work. Um, But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But then we get to Sulk, which is such a great song. And um, it's funny because you look at like the play counts of the song Sulk on the record and it's not very high in comparison to a lot of the other songs. And that's an amazing song. Um, really, really killer song. It, it is so beautiful and has such a powerful chorus. And the craziest thing about this song is they have not played this song live um, since 1995. Isn't that nuts? Like, again, it's another one of those things that you go, here is this song that I would kill to have in my back pocket and play for people. Because what a kick-ass Radiohead song that is. And they haven't played it live since 95. You guys just, you know what, Radiohead, I got an idea. Any song that you hate, I would like to now have for my personal use. And I'll play them and perform them um, for you since you don't like them anymore. But then we close out on the last song on the record, Street Spirit, Fade Out. And what what a doozy. <laughs> wow. This is, this is how you close out an album. Um, they, uh, Tom York has said in interviews that he was inspired by R.E.M. by the sound of the video. And uh, he says basically he feels like he ripped off R.E.M. a bunch. Um, but in the picking and the guitar and the sound of this, he felt like it was uh, uh, an R.E.M. ripoff. But hey, it works. He was also inspired by a book that he was reading at the time. Um, about a spirit. And that's what got him to write the song. I'm drawing a blank. I have a lot of things in my head, but every now and then the facts, they drift away from me. But this is a, a an amazing piece of music and really a strong way to exit this experience of the Benz. Street Spirit, Fade Out, truly does that. You know, it kind of lifts you up slowly, surely. This is the... Um, this is the Carl Sagan Pale Blue Dot song. 
if you think about it. To continue with my space analogy, that that the Benz is leaving Earth, and that by the time they get to OK Computer, they'll broadcast from another planet. This is the looking back at Earth and going, look how small, look how insignificant all of that was. And I really do feel a sense of healing closure with this last song, because it does seem to move itself more and more distant. You know, a band that started in the studio with so much tension, so many expectations from the label to perform, to deliver, to compete with Creep. Here they are looking back at the pale blue dot and saying, bye-bye, that's it, we're done. From here on out, we make our own rules. And that's why they are the legends that they are to this day, because they, they looked at it and they saw how small it really was. Now, I know that that's my own interpretation. Um, that's not necessarily anything that's been said before, but um, I love a lot of otherworldly sounding musicians. I love the ones that that really deliver the punches here on our planet, like like the Pumpkins and a lot of the the metal and harder music that I like. But bands like this that seem to take you somewhere else on another uh, world, another dimension, I love it. And um, the Benz was uh, iconic for me in my teenage years. And I remember listening to it over and over again and learning how to play the picking pattern on Street Spirit and um, really feeling moved by fake plastic trees and the build and the crescendo there and nice dream and just having that both pleasant and haunting song. Um, What an album, you know. I, it's funny because I think about this show as a whole and I think about all the albums that move me and eventually there's going to come a time where I get to the albums that are good and I like them and they, they're, they're cool and they've got great riffs or great songs or great hooks. But these early days of waterproof records, I feel like are going to be the ones that exhaust me because it's like the, the most meaningful pieces of music that I can find. And maybe the destiny of this show is that it turns into guests and that you'll have um, episodes that you can go back and listen to that you go, well, that was a that was a sit alone with Jacob episode. <laughs> and maybe we'll space them out so I don't so I can milk this a little bit more and have these moments with you guys over time. Um, but wow, uh, thanks for spending this time with me and let me walk you through track by track on uh, Radiohead's The Benz. Um, I'm sure you've experienced this album. If you haven't, what are you doing? Go do it right now. Uh, thanks for joining me, you guys. This has been Waterproof Records here at Believe Limited. And uh, I've been your host, Jacob Givens, and we'll see you next time. Things are going to change. I can feel it. It's just going to be that kind of body. I'm